Gracious Father, we thank you for your word to us in this uh, wonderful and familiar chapter, and we ask for your guidance as we read it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many things come naturally to us. Uh, Eating is something that comes quite naturally to most of us, I think. Hugging someone we love, talking about ourselves, that comes naturally to most. Uh, Sitting down and having a rest when we're tired. Then there are other things which should come naturally, but they don't. And I think the chief amongst these is is saying thank you. Uh, When we receive something good, it should be natural for us to say thank you. Uh, But most of us had to be trained. I, for one, am very grateful that my parents trained me to say thank you. Otherwise, I might have been quite a rude person. Uh, Though... Even now, I suppose I still sometimes forget to say thank you when I should. Another thing which should come naturally but which doesn't is the realisation that this world has been made by a God of great power and wisdom. It should just be obvious to us. And this is beautifully illustrated by John Milton in his poem Paradise Lost uh, when the first man, Adam discovers himself. Now, I won't read you the poem, but I'll tell you what happens. Adam wakes up for the first time and he finds himself lying on a, a soft bed of leaves. He stands up and he begins to discover what he can do. He can see. He can run. He can speak. And he begins to name the things that he sees. He he names the hills and the rivers and the earth and the sun. And he is so happy. He knows he hasn't made himself. He must have been made by a great maker. And so he begins to speak to the animals. Fair creatures, tell me, he says, how may I know the great maker? so that I can thank him for making me so happy. It should come naturally, yet it doesn't. And that is the reason why God needed to give us Genesis chapter 1, to let us know that this world doesn't just exist, but that it has been made by a great and wise unseen God. Now, there's so much we can learn from this chapter, I thought I would just try to draw out a few things that we can learn about God, about the world, and about ourselves. So I'm working under those three headings, as you'll see on the outline. I hesitate to say this, but I know that some people are sort of put off by this chapter purely because of the, the baggage that, of the, the whole sort of science-religion debate. Uh, I want to say to you, I believe in science and I'm not going to ask you to throw away what you know from science. I'm also not going to sort of answer the the, the somewhat silly question, do you take it literally? Because I think that the question itself just oversimplifies everything. Let's just see what we can learn from this chapter, which is God's truth for us, that has nothing to do uh, let's see what we can learn that, ha- that has nothing to do with science. Well, uh, 
The first thing is what we can learn about God. And the first thing we learn is that God made things. Uh, In fact, he made the heavens and the earth, which is a way of saying that he made everything. And he made it by speaking. Verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, you and I make things, but we need materials to be able to make things, don't we? God didn't need materials. He just spoke. The Hebrew verb for create in Genesis 1 is only ever used of God. And I can still hear my Hebrew lecturer saying in his Northern Irish accent, only God baraz things. That's the verb, bara. God also names things. Verse 5, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Naming is an expression of rule. God rules these things and so he names them. And it's interesting that he will later invite humans to name things too. God blesses things. He blessed the fish and the birds on the fifth day. He blessed the animals and the humans on the sixth day and he told them to increase in number. Blessing is a bit like God's power and willingness to do good to others. And I think it's really good that we live in a universe that's run by a God who blesses. He assessed things. Now, if you're wondering whether I chose the word assess because it rhymes with bless, you're exactly right. Uh, God made things, he named things, he blessed things and assessed things. But I'm sure you you can see what I'm getting at. It's verse 4, God saw that the light was good. And so the point is, God made the light and he said, look, yeah, I'm pleased with this light. And so he separated the light out from the darkness so the light could have its own place. Assessing, just like naming, is an expression of God's rule. So it's his universe, and so it's up to him, not us, to say whether something in the universe is good or bad. And that's a simple but profound truth, isn't it? That it's up to God to make those judgments. Another thing that we can learn about God is that he gave things. He gave us the sun and the moon, for example, and it says near the end that he gave us the plants for food. You could make an argument that he gave the greens to the animals so that if you didn't need, if you don't like eating your greens, you could say you're probably in accordance with Genesis 1, but I don't think that's the way that we should read this chapter. We have a God who blesses and who gives. Uh, They are just a few of the things that we can learn about God. And don't you think this encourages us to bring our lives under the good and the wise rule, the wise authority, of the God who is a good God and who has authority over this world. Now, what can we learn about God's world? Well, the first thing is that God created it good. The light was good, the fruit was good, the sun and moon were good, the fish and the birds were good, the animals were good. And of course, after he'd made man, he he said it was very good. God made the world good. Now, the reason this is important is because that the world we live in now, well, it has many good things in it, but it's not completely good, is it? 
And in chapter 3, we're going to read the explanation for how a world which God created good is now not completely good. The second thing about the world is its differences are good. God separated the light from the dark. He separated the water from the sky. He separated the day from the night. He moved the waters to one place so there could be dry ground. He marked the different seasons. He made the plants and the animals according to their kinds. And then he made humans male and female. Imagine if he hadn't done those things, made those separations. We would all be living in a twilight swamp. Why is this important? Well, because not every worldview holds that the differences are good. Uh, In Buddhism, the aim is to escape the cycle of change and difference into one great undifferentiated om. Now, apart from being a boring way to spend forever, that is simply not a worldview that anybody who is sensible can live, is it? To believe that differentiation is bad, to believe that it's a bad thing that we have cumin and turmeric and dill and coriander and they all taste wonderfully different, well, you can't actually live like that, can you? So the Bible presents us with a what is a sensible worldview, that the differentiation in the world is good. And this presents us with a way that we can live, because we can give thanks to God for these things. The third thing I want to observe about the world is that it was made with us in mind. Even though God doesn't make the, the man and the, or the, the humankind until right at the end of day six, uh, When God made all the things leading up to it, he he was doing that with us in mind. So God made the sun and the moon and the stars on the fourth day, obviously before he'd made the humans and the animals, but already he's preparing for humans to be there because those lights in the heavens, uh, it says, were there to, to give us day and night and the seasons. And those things are so good for us, aren't they? It's so good to have day and night Uh, coming regularly. I think it was Anne of Green Gables who said, tomorrow is always fresh with no mistakes. Maybe you're thinking about that for the whole year next year. But don't you think we're lucky that we don't live on Venus? Because on Venus, a day goes for 243 Earth days. It takes that long for the planet to rotate on its axis. And a year only goes for 223 days. So They actually have a day on Venus which is longer than their year. Very bad planet to have a bad day on. Whereas God made our days just the right length. God made the world with us in mind. Well, finally, what can we uh, learn from Genesis 1 about ourselves? Well, the first thing that I'd like to point out uh, is that God made us. Now, you might think that I've mentioned this already, and I suppose I have, but I think I need to say it twice, because when we're talking about God, we should talk and think of him as the one who made us and all of this. But when we're thinking about ourselves, when I think about me, 
I should think about me as someone who has been made by God for his purposes. And it's not just that he made me, but that he is still working on me. I'm a work in progress. He is still shaping me like a potter shapes the clay. Even now, he can still do anything he pleases with me. And of course, when we're a Christian, when we're in Christ, we have been recreated, uh, as we gave thanks for today in our collect. Now, how might it impact your life if you were truly trying to live out the fact that you have been created by God? The second point is that everything we have is from God. Uh, We read about this. He gave us the sun and the moon. He gave us the birds to look at. He gave us the fish. He gave us the animals. Uh, He gave us all the beautiful fruit to eat, verse 29. Uh, Now, strictly, it's only in chapter 9 of Genesis that he gave us the meat to eat as well. Uh, But everything that our bodies can do, everything we can achieve with our bodies, the thinking, the talking, all the pleasure that our bodies are capable of, all that is a gift of God. We should say thank you, shouldn't we? When I was growing up, we used to say grace at dinner time, but at breakfast or lunch, we didn't worry. Well, now in our family, we just thank God at every meal. Why not? He provided every meal, didn't he? Uh, If your family is not in the habit of saying grace, it can be a bit awkward to get started. Uh, This is where, well, in my notes I have here something that I would say to the children, but I don't think there are any children here today. But I was going to suggest that the children can just remind the adults that we should thank God for the food. Third thing is that we humans were made to rule God's creation under him. You can see that in verse 26, a profoundly important verse. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all the livestock and the wild animals. Now, some think that it's, it's kind of wrong, you know, for the Bible to say this because they think it justifies humans dominating the creation. Uh, but as usual with the opponents of Christianity, I think they've got, they've got it completely the opposite way from the truth. This verse doesn't justify us dominating. Actually, what happens here is it it explains to us that the power that we have has been delegated to us by God and that God is going to hold us accountable for the way we exercise the power that we have over the creation. So if we take this passage to heart, it's going to make us more careful, not less, about the way we exercise our power over the fish and the birds and the whole environment. The final thing I want us to notice is that we were made in God's image. Again, verse 26, let us make mankind in our image. Now, there's a lot that we can say about this. Is our similarity to God, is it something about our nature? Is it something to do with our mind? Is it something to do with our function in the creation as the ones ruling on God's behalf? Uh, 
Is it a combination of all the above? Yes, probably. But above all, don't you feel honoured to be made in the image of God? And when you look at humans and the way we act sometimes, I mean, let's not forget that Herod the Great, who ordered that horrendous slaughter of the innocents to try to get rid of the baby Jesus, was another person made in the image of God. When you look at the way we act sometimes, don't you think that God must be absolutely shuddering? That we're the ones representing him on the earth. Well, the image of God leads us to a good place to finish. I'm sure you know the story of when the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked whether it's lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not. And Jesus asked them for a Roman coin, which they had handy, they were carrying, and and, and Jesus took the coin and he said, whose image is stamped on the coin? The answer, of course, was Caesar's. And so Jesus replied, well then, Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. And I like to think that at that point he would have just flicked the coin back to them and walked away. Because it was a very, very clever answer. The answer effectively meant, well, yeah, look, Caesar's, he governs the currency, so you ought to pay your fair taxes to him. But on what is God's image stamped? Well, it's the whole, it's me, isn't it? It's the whole human being. What I ought to render to God is the whole of me in obedience and devotion. Don't we say that each week in the prayer after communion? Here we offer and present to you, O Lord, ourselves, our souls and bodies to be a reasonable, holy, and living sacrifice. If he created us from nothing and recreated us in Christ, well, isn't that the least that we can do? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for creating us, for giving us life, the capacity to be so happy even amongst this world where there are also so many things which cause us to weep. Uh, We thank you, Father, that you've given us the honour of making us in your image. And we do pray from our hearts that we might indeed make ourselves living sacrifices to you. And we pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.